On this day, July the 2nd, 1776, the Second Continental Congress voted and approved a resolution of independence declaring the United States independent of Great Britain's rule. On July the 3rd, 1776, John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, these words, The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore. A couple days late, or after that, we celebrate July the 4th, 1776 is the day that the declaration was signed. But you and I are a free people. We are free from the oppression of government, and we are free as believers in Christ because Jesus Christ indeed has set us free. This morning, we're continuing to walk through the book of Matthew together. We started uh, months ago walking through the book of Matthew, if you're visiting with us this morning. Um, and I will tell you that this morning, um, I really prayed about, do we do a standalone sermon today, or do we continue and just walk through the scriptures? together as we've been doing. And after prayer, the Lord revealed that we need to continue to walk through this passage of scripture like we have been doing. And so this morning we come to a very difficult topic, the topic of persecution. None of us like this subject. I will assure you that of all of the sermons um, within the book of Matthew, that this is probably one of those that I wish that we could skip over. Um, we're not going to skip over it because we don't pick and choose what we want to, to walk through in God's word. We're taking from Matthew chapter one, and we're going all the way through Matthew chapter 28 together. Last week, we covered Matthew chapter 10 verses one through 15. And the greatest inconvenience that we saw from that message of what Jesus shared with his disciples was that the people that they encountered along their way, the people would be a little inhospitable toward them. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, we read, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Basically, if someone doesn't respond to the gospel message, then what you're to do is go outside the city gates, dust, uh, knock the dust off your feet, and just tell them you're lost and not mine, and just move on to the next city. That's basically what Jesus told his disciples to do last week. This week, though, the message that we are going to see is much more harsh, okay? It is a much more of a message of a reality that Jesus shares with his disciples. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 25 together. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 25 is what we're going to be looking at together this morning. And this is what God's word reveals to us today. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, 
For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them both put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved." When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Bezalel, how much more will they malign those of his household? You and I live in a world that is becoming more and more hostile toward Christians and the church of Jesus Christ. We may not be experiencing persecution here in America, but you can be certain that many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around this world on this day are being persecuted because they are followers of Christ. Our message point is this, reaching back to the Beatitudes and what Jesus told his disciples whenever he walked through that sermon with them. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. If you remember when we walked through the Beatitudes, this word blessed, it comes from the Latin word meaning approval. The kind of life that God approves of is a persecuted life. That's hard to stomach, isn't it? It's hard for me to stomach that the kind of life that God approves of is a persecuted life. You would think that the Lord Jesus Christ would have instructed his disciples to avoid persecution, to run from persecution, not to walk right through the fire of persecution, but that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Notice point number one this morning. Point number one is this. You and I, as instructed by Jesus, are to prepare for battle. Jesus said in verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I am not a shepherd. Okay, Far from being a shepherd that tends to real, live, literal sheep. But I know enough about shepherding that if I was a shepherd, I would never lead my sheep into a wolf pack. Why? Because what are wolves designed to do? They are designed, man, they are predators. They seek to devour and destroy Helpless little animals, don't they? And that is exactly what a sheep is. They're helpless. They're unable to fend for themselves. That is why it is so important that a sheep herder, or that there be a sheep herder or a shepherd with every flock of sheep. So what does Jesus do? What does Jesus instruct his disciples to do? The good shepherd instructs his disciples to do what? To go into the midst of a wolf pack. 
It's crazy when you think about it. I have a son who is 15 years old. And in a matter of a couple of weeks, he is going to be 16. So let me encourage you now, avoid all sidewalks, okay? Avoid them. One of the things that we have told Connor is that he is not allowed to drive on Interstate 75 for at least the first year of his life. Why would we tell him that? We tell him that for two reasons. Number one, he is going to be driving a 1995 hell-damaged Honda Accord with 250,000 miles on it. This past week, I was on Interstate 75 in his car, and when I hit 70, which is the posted speed limit, okay? So for y'all that think that I speed everywhere I go, that was the posted speed limit. Well, when I hit 70, that car started shaking, Okay? and shimming a little bit. That car is designed not for 70 anymore, but for 40 miles per hour, which is perfect for him because all of these side streets around here, the posted speed limit is around 40, 45, some 50s. That is what he is allowed to drive. Why would we tell him, though, that he cannot drive on Interstate 75? Because we love him. And we understand that when you drive Interstate 75 at non-traffic times, if you are driving the posted speed limit, you are getting passed. It is a dangerous road. There are a bunch of wolves that drive Interstate 75. So Connor has been instructed to avoid the wolf packs, the wolf minefields that are Interstate 75. So getting back to our passage of Scripture, Jesus saying that he is going to send his disciples, his sheep, into the midst of wolves. Does that mean that Jesus does not love us, his disciples? It's not what that means at all. Jesus loves us so much that he provides for us a warning of what is out there. There is a real danger when we go out and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we go across the street or around the world, there is a danger. There are wolves out there seeking to destroy the work of Christ. So what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? Notice number one, Jesus says, be as wise as serpents. John MacArthur in his commentary points out that in Egyptian hieroglyphics, as well as in much of ancient lore, serpents symbolize wisdom. They were considered to be shrewd, smart, cunning, and cautious. Paul said this. He wrote, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. You and I are to be wise toward the outside world as we go and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be smart and we are to be cautious wherever we go. We are not to be gullible as Christians. We are not to allow this world to step on us and push us around, nor are we allowed to go about looking for a fight. We are to be wise. People are trying to destroy the work of Christ today and the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like they tried to stop Jesus some 2,000 years ago. So we are to be wise as serpents. Notice also what Jesus said. You are to be as innocent as doves. Why would Jesus tell us to be as innocent as doves? Doves are some of the most harmless 
and innocent birds there are. You and I as believers are to be harmless as we advance the gospel. We are to be holy and we are to embody Christ and not embody this world. When we go into this world proclaiming the truth of God's word, we need to be the most upright people, the most upright people in the room and in this world. We need to be people of integrity. So we, as we go about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to be wise and we need to be innocent wherever we go. Notice what the next point is. Here is the reality persecution will come. Persecution will come. From whom does persecution come? Ultimately, the father of persecution is Satan, right? Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, Satan, what he is seeking to do is he is seeking to steal from us, He is seeking to kill us, and he is seeking to destroy the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is out to destroy us, the sheep of Christ, and he is out to destroy the work of Christ. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, and the heavenly places. Our battle is against Satan. But notice who Satan uses to advance his agenda. He uses man, right? He uses man. He uses people to do some of the most despicable acts against believers. Every single day, there are Christians around this world that lose their lives because they are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I've read so many different statistics about how many Christians are actually persecuted every single year. There, I've read where it's as high as close to 200,000 Christians are martyred a year. I've read that, no, it's more like 90,000 Christians are martyred a year. I came across, preparing for this message, um, a website called Open Doors USA. And they have a very, very conservative number that they use to indicate the number of Christians that are martyred each year. This is what they show. They say that 322 Christians are martyred every single month. They share that over 214 churches or Christian properties are destroyed every single month. And there are 772 forms of violence committed against Christians each month, meaning that they, the violence is beatings, abductions, rapes, arrest, forced marriages, all of these different things are happening in our world every single day and every single month. This is a very conservative number, like I shared, but for every death on this website, there is a name and a place and a story to be told. These are just the known persecutions that this site knows about. There are other places like North Korea that we will never know how many Christians have been put to death because they refuse to bow down to the oppressive government that is there. I've been to places like China, North Korea, parts of Asia, where if you are a Christian, you very likely could be put in prison, be beaten, 
thrown into concentration camps, or even lose your lives. And this is happening today in the year 2017. Mind-blowing when you think about it. The persecution and the oppression that our brothers and sisters in Christ face around this world is absolutely insane. We should be broken because of it, but it is not something that you and I were not promised would happen. Jesus warned us of this. In fact, Jesus tells us that there are four different areas in which we will experience persecution. We're going to look at two of these and then sandwiched in between these are provisions that the Lord provides us with. And then we'll look at the last two in just a moment. But notice the first area that we can expect persecution. We can expect persecution from religion. In verse 17 of our focal passage this morning, it says, Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. The disciples were God-fearing Jewish men. Jesus tells them that the very religious leaders they trusted the most would subsequently be the ones that would beat them, that would try them, that would imprison them, and potentially also kill them. We know that it was not the Roman government that wanted Jesus crucified. It was the Pharisees, it was the Sadducees, and it was the scribes. It was the religious leaders. Sometimes the greatest opposition and the greatest oppression comes from religious people, right? Many, many Muslims have declared war against Christians. Many Hindus, when I was in India, I was blown away by this, but many Hindus have declared war against both Muslims and Christians. When foreigners came and settled on the banks of this great land, they were seeking religious freedom. They were seeking religious freedom from the oppressive church of England. You and I can expect persecution to come from those who do it in the name of religion. Notice also Jesus said that we can expect persecution from the government. In verse 18 we read, And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, and to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. John MacArthur wrote, Although government is established by God to preserve social order, it has also become an instrument of Satan to promote his own work and to oppose the Lord's. Government is ordained by God, but manipulated by Satan. I think all of us would agree with that, that government is ordained by God, but it is manipulated by Satan and it has been manipulated by man. Over the past few years, um, or really more than that, but in America, the government has done everything they can to oppress Bible-believing Christians in the church. Reckless laws have been passed. Persecution has come through the court system. Tax-exempt status has been threatened to be removed from church churches and nonprofit organizations. It has been proposed to become a hate crime for a pastor to stand up and preach against things like homosexuality and other things that are found in God's word. It has been deemed a hate crime by some. These are just a few of the realities that one day the church will no longer think of as past tense. It will become current reality. Guess what though? None of these compare 
to what our brothers and sisters face around this world this morning. Jesus promised that we would that this would happen some 2,000 years ago. You and I may not experience oppression in America today, but there is a coming a day, and I believe with all of my heart that our freedoms that we experience today will be a thing of the past. It may be next month, it may be next year, it may be 10 years from now or 20 years from now, but there is coming a day when our freedoms as evangelical Christians here in America will be in jeopardy. When it does come, may we never bow down or back away from living up to the standards God has established for us in his word. So as I said, sandwiched between these two promises that Jesus says we will experience persecution from religious leaders and the government, Jesus reveals to us that there is a provision from the Father that is, it, that is coming. We read in verses 19 and following, it says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. First, Jesus does not tell his disciples if they deliver you over. Notice what Jesus said. He said, when they deliver you over. Jesus promised his disciples, okay? He said basically that you will be persecuted. You will be arrested. You will be placed into the hands of your oppressors. And it is likely that you will face death. It is believed that every single disciple died a martyr's death with the exception of John. John may not have died a martyr's death, but we do know that he was arrested, that he was imprisoned, and according to book Um, Fox's Book of Martyrs, hot tar was poured over his body and he survived that. And he was exiled to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. He may not have been martyred, but he certainly was persecuted for his faith. Notice that Jesus tells the disciples that when this happens, they should not be anxious. That's hard to stomach, isn't it? If, I, if it was an ever-present reality that every single week that I stand up here before you, that somebody could come in through those doors to arrest me, I may be a little anxious. I would like to say, no, I'm tough and I'm strong as an evangelical pastor, a man as a God fearing man, I would stand up here and boldly preach the word of God. And I would do that, but there may be a little bit of apprehension there. Little bit of anxiousness. And what does Jesus tell his disciples to do? He says, Do not be anxious. Man, those are such comforting words because not only do he say, Do not be anxious, he says that he is going to provide us with his spirit who is going to speak on our behalf in the midst of the persecution that you are going to face. In times of distress, we can be certain that the Lord will intercede for us. Read God's word. Walk through God's word and you will see time after time after time where God interceded on behalf of his people. Right now in our, in our um, two-year reading plan, we're walking through the book of Judges. And we see time and time again where God intercedes on behalf of 
his people. One of my favorite passages of scriptures, and I've shared this with you before, is the book um, is found in Philemon verse 6. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ Jesus. What is that passage saying? It's saying this, when you and I share our faith with other people, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to us and he speaks for us. Amazing when you think about it. Not only are those that we share the plan of salvation with having an encounter with the living God, so are we when we are actively sharing our faith. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf. So point four, let's move on, is simply titled Persecution Continued. Notice the next group of people that Jesus tells us we will experience persecution from. Persecution from family. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Some of you in this room have been shunned by a family member when you became a Christian. You may have been shunned because you converted to Christianity from another religion. You may have been shunned because you left one church or one denomination and went to another church or another denomination. You may have been shunned because you turned your back on this world and this world's practices to follow after Jesus and your family didn't get it, your friends didn't get it, but they have shunned you because of it. In some cultures in our world today, if a person converts from one religion to another, the religion, there is actually a funeral service held on their behalf. Why? Because that person that is converted to Christianity is dead to that family member because they have essentially rejected their God and rejected their family. Tragic, but it happens every single day somewhere in our world today. And you can be certain that as the world comes here, that that's going to happen right here in our own land. Families will be disowning families, holding funeral services because they rejected um, one religion and converted to Christianity. Notice the final place that you and I can expect persecution. We can expect persecution from, from society. We read in verse 22, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus said, you and I will be hated by all people. Does that mean that we're literally going to be hated by every single person outside of the doors of this church? No, it, I don't think that it means that at all. Okay, I have... All of us have traveled. All of us have encountered people from other religions and from other places around this world. And some of the nicest people that I've ever met have been Muslim. They've been Hindu. They've been Buddhist. They've been all of these different religions. Does that mean that they hate me? Absolutely not. They don't agree with me and the practices of of me being a Christ follower. But that doesn't mean that they hate me. So what is Jesus saying here? 
in, as a way of review, what Jesus is saying is you and I are going to be hated by society. We're going to be hated by the religious establishment. We're going to be hated by governments around this world. And we're going to be hated by our own family and our own friends. I remember um, as, a, as a senior in high school, there was a young man that was on our school campus. And I think I've shared this story with you before, but um, he was given the nickname Holy Joe. And Holy, his name was Joe, and he carried around with him one of those big old family Bibles. And I was an athlete, and so I kind of hung out with my FCA friends, Fellowship of Christian Athlete friends. You know, we were my football buddies and my baseball buddies. I didn't really hang out with everybody in the school, and shame on me for that. But when Holy Joe showed up on our school campus, man, there was something about him that was attractional. And so I befriended him and he shared with me about his, you know, coming to Christ. And he shared with me how on weekends he and his church would go out and they would strap a across to their back and they would walk up and down the streets of Dallas sharing the good news of salvation. Holy Joe was hated by most of the people in our school, but for some reason there was an attraction that I had to him because I realized that his faith was so much stronger than mine. His boldness was so much greater than mine. He experienced persecution at our little high school in Wiley, Texas some 25 years ago, but still to this day I remember him standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of persecution. Now, as a high school kid, any kind of persecution is, I mean, it's like you're being put to death, right? And so for for Holy Joe to stand like he did, um, I, I admired that. Here's what we can be certain of. You and I are hated by people from every corner of this world, not because they hate us, but because of their hatred for Jesus and the standard of living that he requires for them in order for them to become Christ followers. You and I will be persecuted. Or let me say this a different way. If you and I are living our lives in accordance with God's standard of living for our lives, we will be persecuted. If we are living our lives the way that we should, then guess what? You and I are going to be passionate in the midst of this persecution for those that are outside the doors of this church, those that reach out across these cities, this county, this state, this nation, and this world. We need to be people that are about the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love this quote by missionary C.T. Studd. I don't know a lot about this missionary, um, but what I read about him, um, man, I, I, w- I was pretty impressed with. But this is a statement that, that he made. He said, some want to live within the sound of our church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Is that not awesome? That should be our cry as well. We, we, we don't need to just associate with one another. We have been called to associate with those outside of the doors of this church that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. In closing, um, our final point is this, and we're going to spend a little bit more time on this point next week, but I do want to hit a couple things. Persecution 
and our identity. In verses 23 through 25, we read, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house of Bezabel, how much more will they malign those of his own household? One commentary wrote this. One commentator wrote this. He said, follow the logic here. If Jesus was persecuted and he is our teacher and master, then do we think we're above him? That we won't endure what he endured? Peter tells us that we are to follow in Jesus' steps in the path of suffering. If you proclaim the name of Christ, people will betray you. The world will hate you and you will be persecuted. And it is all because Jesus himself was betrayed, hated, and persecuted. People call Jesus Satan. And if your life is identified with him, they'll call you the same thing. The reality we must face is this. The danger of our lives increases in proportion to the death of our relationship with Christ. That is an unavoidable conclusion from what Matthew is telling us. And then dropping down a little bit, he went on to write this. He said, you will become like the one who was mocked beaten, scourged, spit on, and nailed to a cross. And all of this brings us to the question we must ask. Namely, do we really want to be like Christ? I mean, really. Because if we really do want to be like him, then our lives won't stay the same. And they won't be easy. They will be dangerous. Christian, this is what Jesus, your Savior, Lord, and King is saying. So do you really want to be like Christ? Man, those are some powerful words. You and I were not called to a life of ease, nor were we called to a life of safety. You and I were called to a life of recklessness for Christ's sake. We are promised in God's word that when we are advancing the gospel, that we will experience persecution. Does that mean that we need to huddle and hide Absolutely not. Because it is when we are advancing the gospel that we have the promise in God's word that the Lord Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf, giving us the words that we need at the time that we need it. Let's be obedient to the Great Commission, obedient to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the midst of the heartache that's out there, in the midst of the persecution that's out there, We have this promise that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are free. We are free indeed because Christ has set us free. And that is the freedom that ultimately, when we take our final breath on this side of eternity, that matters the most. We are grateful for our freedom that we have as Americans. All of us are because we have all been afforded great opportunities. But ultimately, in the end, This freedom does not matter. The freedom that we have in Christ is ultimately what matters. You know, but you may be here this morning and I'm, um, I don't know what your relationship is like with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, 
do you know where you would spend eternity? God's word makes it abundantly clear that we will spend eternity in one or two places. We will spend eternity in heaven if we have placed our faith and trust in him and repented of our sins and turned from this world and committed to live for him. Or scripture says if we choose not to believe in Jesus and reject Jesus, then we will spend eternity separated from him in a real literal place called hell. If you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to repent of your sins and turn from this world and trust in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And at the conclusion of this prayer, we're going to have a time of invitation. I'll be here at the front. And if there's a decision you need to make this morning, I invite you this morning to come and do that very thing. You may need to come and trust Jesus this morning. You may need to come and join this church this morning. Whatever decision the Lord is leading you to make this morning, we invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I know that this morning this has been a a difficult message to hear. It's been a challenging message to preach. But Father, we know, Lord Jesus, that it is an ever-present reality for millions of Christians around this world. Every single day they are faced with persecution. And Lord Jesus, we pray for our brothers and sisters around this world that you will give them strength. Father, that you will give them boldness and that you will also provide them with protection. Lord, may they be wise and may they also be innocent. Father, I pray this morning that there is someone in this room that has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, that this morning they'll make the greatest decision of their life. They'll repent of their sins, they'll turn from this world, and they will follow after you. Father, there may be some here this morning that you're leading to become a member of this faith family, and Lord, we invite them to come. Lord, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make this morning, we invite you to come. We invite you to come. You come now if you need to come. Trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or if the Lord's leading you to join this church, you come. You may need to pray where you're at, that the, God, that, that the Lord will give you the boldness that you need. Let's just spend a moment now during our time of invitation asking the Lord to reveal to us how we need to respond.